Abba, Father, you, as always, you are kind and generous above measure. And I thank you for every person that's here. And I ask right now that the, your word, which is alive, would breathe life into us because you are a God of hope. You're a God of the living. And Lord, I need you right now. And, and we're your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. You're the great shepherd. Would you please speak to us? We're, we're listening. And I'm asking in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, the story of Isaac uh, getting a wife and how that played out. It's fascinating. This is an image uh, an artist painted trying to capture what it was like when Rebecca was watering camels. It actually looks pretty realistic. Oh, there's something very, very wrong with Rebecca. She looks like a very soft, pasty Renaissance female who has never been outside. I'm just telling you, that is not historically accurate. She is very Mediterranean. I mean, this gal is from Ur of the Chaldees. She does not look like a Caucasian from Europe. I promise that, all right? And uh, some of you weight trainers, uh, there's not a whole lot of bicep there, okay? Just doesn't look like much, so. But we're getting at something in the image, and we can borrow from it. What happens in the story? Let's walk through this story about Abraham. Now, to set the back the backstory just a bit, Sarah died. In Genesis 23, Sarah died, and Abraham is burdened about how do we get a wife for my son. This is what the, the Word of God says. It says, no, Abraham was old. And by the way, we're looking at probably 147 years old. Abraham is old, advanced in age, and the Lord God had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who was in charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, who has spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel ahead of you, and you will take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and went out with the variety of good things of his master's in his hand. So he set out and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. 
He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water when it was evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it came about before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. She went down to the spring, filled the jar, and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my Lord. Then she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will also draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was taking a close look at her in silence to find out whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets from her wrist weighing 10 shekels in gold. And he said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to stay overnight at your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to stay overnight. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and his trustworthiness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Wow, what a story. Let's walk through this. There's some things that are really important that I want you to see. Um, first of all, the strange language, put your hand under your master's thigh. What does that mean? Uh, this is what scholars and historians say, that what it probably means is that when a king or somebody is in authority is sitting, the posture of sitting means certainly relax, etc., but it means you're in authority, like a king would sit on the throne. And the idea of putting the hand under a thigh is a symbol of dominance. <clears throat> that the person seated in authority has full authority over the person making an oath. That's the image that's being communicated here. 
and he makes his, his highest in command servant put his hand under, under his thigh, symbolizing that Abraham has full authority to not only ask, but to demand this request. Please go and get a, a wife for my son from the bloodline. Um, by the way, pay attention to this. I will make you swear by the Lord. The word is Jehovah. Watch. He describes Jehovah this way by being the God of heaven and the God of earth. Does that sound big? The God of heaven and the God of earth. Is there any other place where he would not be God? Comprehensive language. The God of heaven, all that is above, and the God of earth, all that is on the earth. All right. This is big. And then he says this. You can't take a wife or my son from Canaan, the, the, this new promised land. Got to go back to, to, to where we came from. This is called endogamy. If you want a fancy word for that, endogamy, it means you're going to marry in the bloodline. Okay. Exogamy is you're marrying out of the bloodline. And Abraham said, no, no exogamous marriage. Got to come from the bloodline. And so the servant understands. Now, when the, when the command is given in verse 6, uh, the, the, the servant says, what if the woman doesn't want to follow? Abraham says, you can't, you can't quite feel it in English. You can feel it in Hebrew. But Abraham is raising his voice a bit here. And he is saying, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare take my son back to where I came from. Don't you dare do it. The word is shamar. It's strong. It's an imperative word. Be on guard. Beware, I'm warning you, don't take my son back where I came from. Can't happen. In fact, that is so strong, he repeats it in verse 8, only do not take my son back there. It can't happen. It's got to come from the bloodline. All right, check this out. Uh, the servant receives the command, accepts the responsibility, pulls 10 camels out of the whole herd of of what Abraham has. Ten camels takes gifts, spices, all kinds of good things from Abraham's treasuries and makes a journey. You ready for this? It's about 1,084 miles where they're going. If you can get your mind around that. How would you like to walk to Philadelphia? That's pretty close. It's a little bit over that. But can you imagine packing up supplies, provisions, livestock, the carts, all that it's going to take, plus your own entourage, to go a thousand miles, which is awfully close to, to Philadelphia. Baltimore, Maryland, Philadelphia-ish, right about in there, to go that far. Uh, and by the way, it's a pretty dangerous journey, too, because there were, uh, there were predators on the highway. Let's just put it that way. It's pretty risky, okay? All right. And, and, so, and then this servant... It's got a, how do you know? How do you know the right girl? How do you pick the right girl for your son? How do you pick the right son for your daughter? You know, um, hopefully you're going to be taller than your son, son-in-law. Is that, I mean, that would be a good, dear Lord, please make them shorter than me. But no, you know, God, God has other plans. So can you be nice to my daughter? You hear me? So, so the servant's got a, this idea of, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this, this well, and, and I'm going to, I know, I'll ask a question. Can I drink from your hand? If she says yes, that's great. Part B, she's going to be willing to water the camels. Okay, and the girl that says that, that's the girl. So 
We, they, he agrees upon it, prays, offers it as a request for a sign from God, and off he goes. All right, watch this. And it came about before he had finished speaking. Isn't that beautiful? Before he finishes speaking, God wants to answer. I love that. Um, the young woman, she was very beautiful, a virgin. She went down. To, can you appreciate the, the geography? She went down, climbed down, filled her jar, came up. And then the servant asks, can I have a drink? And she said, drink, my Lord. And then she quickly lowered her hand to give him a drink. And then she said, I will also draw water for your camels until they had finished drinking. How many camels does she, does she have? Ten. Ten. According to physics professor Dr. Christopher Baird out of West Texas A&M University, the average camel can drink 53 gallons in three minutes. Get your mind around that, you, you, you engineers and math folk. All right, how many camels? How much does a gallon of water weigh? 6.7, some say 8 pounds, um, uh, whatever the metric is, um, it's a lot of water. In fact, potentially, she would have drawn 2 tons of water. Now, she's got to scramble down. She's got to, got to draw it. She's got to heft that jar up. She's got to climb back up. And it is a constant emptying into that trough because the camels are taking it in like you would not imagine. Okay. So the servant's request was pretty insightful. What woman wants to work that hard for a stranger? Something's up. Something's up. So God put something in her heart, in her heart, that motivated her to be willing to work that hard drawing about two tons of water it's possible there were many more camels by the way at least 10 because they were probably going to be gifts this kind of thing so michael would, uh, would that have been just her or would she have had servants with her as well? great question and we don't know the text doesn't say so uh, i hope so <laughs> i would hope so can you appreciate this this gal's tough? All right? This is not some pasty European girl, you know, that 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 is pictured in the Renaissance art. This gal is a tough, tough lady. All right? And she's strong, and there's something about her heart being willing to serve. Something unusual. Is she discerning? You think she's smart? When you see an entourage with 10 camels plus, we have no idea what the whole entourage looked like. There could have been 50 camels and lots of servants. And according to the text, God blessed Abraham, quote unquote, in every way. This glorious entourage is, is coming up and she's going, whoa, this isn't your average run of the mill Stranger coming by to get some water. Something's going on. She saw that, she discerned it, and she said, my heart needs to be in the right spot. Something, God is up to something. 
something's happening, and she was willing to draw water for those ten camels. Um, I love the prayer that the man, the servant said, he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and his trustworthiness toward my master. I love that language. To me, it represents a good heart. If you ever let yourself get to the place where you think God is unkind and God is not trustworthy, you're in a very dangerous place. Uh, I'm not sure if you are fully aware um, there is a whole new cultural movement right now where people are deconstructing their faith. Um, you guys, some of you are not going to be aware of a group called DC Talk, Toby Max Band, but one of the band members deconstructed his faith, and it's the new coming out. It's, it's the de-evangelism. And it's, it's the deconstruction of your faith and you, you announce it and it's your big coming out that you now are no longer a follower of Jesus. You're no longer a follower of God. It's just down to you, the world you live in, your instincts, and trying to make the best of it on planet Earth. Whole new trend right now to do that. Um, uh, Hillsong, you know, one of their most popular celebrities, same thing happened to them. So... Um, it's a big deal. And, um, you know, I, I was talking to Lisa last night about, you know, Lisa, I just said, Lisa, I can't, I can't bring life to the people that the Lord would bring this morning. And Lisa goes, good, because that's not your job. So thank you, sweetie. Appreciate that. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> that Rebecca Hart, she knows the Lord. But Jesus can. And, and I know that God promises that, that his word is alive. And so can you, can you hear me? Maybe you can just hear my heart. If you get to the place where you think God is not kind and God is not worthy of trust, that's a very dangerous place. Something's going on and you need to, you need to confront that pain. You need to confront the deal that's, that's making you consider that God is not a God that you can love or God is not a God who loves you. I want you to think about that, okay? We'll dig in. All right, let's do some practical application. Um, here's just some things that the Lord is pushing me. Abraham learned to trust what God said and to make decisions that honor the promises. A promise like the first one. You're going to have descendants. And this promise of the blessing and the cursing, that's a promise. God said to Abraham, look, the person that blesses you, I will bless. The person that curses you, I will curse. There's something about Abraham. You don't mess with Abraham. And promise three, that God is kind and trustworthy. I love that. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. God is a shield, and there is a reward with God. I love that. Just a couple more. Abraham took the promise of descendants so seriously, he required that Abraham's or that Isaac's wife come from the bloodline. Almost an 1,100-mile journey. Um, here's a couple more things. Why did Abraham forbid Isaac to go back to Ur? Why? Why did he do that? He said to, to, to the descendants, Shamar, don't you dare. No way. I'm ordering you, be on guard. Don't you dare let this happen. Isaac cannot go back to where I came from. Why? Open it up. What do you, why do you think? Why? God gave him a new land. Promise God gave a new land. Honor the promise. What else? Why? Pagan. What's that? Pagan. Very pagan. Very pagan. Fall back and like, you know, into 
Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Somebody else, why? Why was it such a big deal? He says it twice. Don't you take my boy back there. Don't you do it. Why? Anybody? You don't take an alcoholic to the liquor store. Interesting. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Thank you for saying that. We're hungry for something, aren't we? It's in the human heart. Hungry for something. What else? Why? Why such a big deal here? Somebody? It would also be God's promise to Abraham as far as making a nation form in the country that he resides. And so Abraham doesn't want to, you know, he kind of fudged with God's promises before with Ishmael. Probably it's like, I learned my lesson that I don't want to. I'll mess up again. Yeah. I like that Philip said, when I asked Lisa this question, she immediately said, protect Isaac. Just, just like you're saying. Can you imagine no children and then the, the miracle of getting the child and how you're going to fight for that kid? Is it, just, is it just paternal instinct? You're going to do what it takes to protect your kid and not let them get out from under your care and make that almost 1,100-mile journey with knowing that there are rogue bands of men desperados, bandits who could potentially attack and kill your son? Would you let your son go to a place that far away to a bunch of pagans knowing he might be killed when he gets there? And then of course many of you said this, Kathy, you picked up on it. Ur represents going backwards spiritually. Not forward. Lee, you mentioned it too. Um, so there's some things about her. So um, I realize the word nana in English, you can do a lot with that if you're, if you're a comic. You know, we're going to Nana's house and all that and Grandpa Nana's house and all those things. The Sumerian name, it's the, it's the Sumerian name for the sun god or, or the moon god. Not a real cool name, but that's the name, Nana. And in Ur, they worshipped the moon god. In fact, Abraham was a moon worshiper when he was there. That's the culture he grew up in. Now, it kind of doesn't sound like too much, right, moon worshiper. Well, it's a little deeper. The people in, in Sumeria and Mesopotamia believed that the moon god, Nana, was the lord of wisdom and the head of all gods the top god, like Zeus for the Greeks would be the top god, right? That's where he comes from, that place that the moon represents this god that is the wisest and the god of all gods. Isn't it interesting when he was giving a command, he said, because of the god of heaven and the god of earth, we're not going backwards, we're going forward. I think Abraham knew the competing pressure of Jehovah, the true God of heaven and earth, and the God, the moon God of Ur, which also considered the God of heaven and earth. And those competing systems. And Kathy and, and, and Lee, I think, Abraham wanted to protect his son from getting involved in a very pagan and a very dangerous religion. Chris, I wonder too if you wanted to protect him from, that was family back there. 
who were still involved in it. Yeah, yeah. pressure on them to stay. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Um, what does the story teach us about parenting, about family and faith? What is important about a dad or a mom who keep their kids out of Ur? And what do you say to someone whose moms and dads won't leave Ur? <laughs> and then what does it teach us about a sign from God and being silent in the wedding? So there's a summary. You're the body of Christ. On the text, on this is God's word. It's alive. It's living. How can we pull this into our world today? What would you say? That's good. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys think God uses signs? God uses symbols and things. Do you think so, Linda? Steve? Yeah. Yeah, I do too. What's that? Peace. Peace. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Somebody else. This. What is the story, man? How important is it for a mom and dad to protect their kids from Ur? <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the modern version of Ur is. Homeschool? Got to homeschool? Sending your kids into public schools like sending them to Ur. Can't do it. Don't do it. You know, is that it? What do you do when you got a mom and dad that won't leave Ur? They're stuck in Ur. And you say, please, please come to the promised land. Nope. We're staying right here. Please come to the promised land. Please, Mom. Please, Dad. What do you do when you're a husband and your wife is stuck in Ur or your wife and your husband's stuck in Ur? Stuck in a place that's... How about this? Keep it simple. Ur is the... It just represents not God's will. Not God's will. What do you do when your mom and dad are stuck in their own will and not God's will? Or a spouse or a child, family... How do you handle that? Anybody else? um, This is a story of faith, kind of like Eve. 
was saying with the servant, we had a faithfulness to go on a probably month's journey or longer on foot to go to this place and to pray to God and all that. But I think that's the important thing too with relating to others is at the end of the day, you can only control yourself in your relationship with God. Wow. And this is a great story because all the players in it had faith in God to some extent. Whether mm-hmm. Abraham, who had such such a strong relationship with God, he could speak from authority, but also complete humility in God's presence. Yeah. In that, to the servant who had faith, trusted his master, and going on a long journey to a place and believed the words that his master told him, mm-hmm. and then just the faith of even. Rebecca, in some ways, of just the compassion shown toward a stranger um, and doing a labor of love that took probably a full day of grueling work. Um, and so, find encouragement from other like minded believers, hmm. but then also make sure your relationship with God is just strong. Hmm. That's the way you yeah. love others. Thank you, Philip. You've spoken of wisdom. Did Jesus let people go? He did, didn't he? Okay, you want to stay in there? All right. Okay. You can come follow me if you want to, but at the end of the day. Yeah, Jeff. I'm glad you pointed out that about uh, Nana. These people, this is something completely lost on us because we think, okay, we got Jehovah God and we got a bunch of idols made by me. Yes. That God was as real to Abraham as Jehovah's. Yes. Um, yep. They believed that their God was regional. Most of the time it was a competition, and oftentimes they were the avatars for the gods who fought against each other. Yep. If you stayed on your God's good side, he'd bless you, and you'd beat your enemy, and mm-hmm. vice versa. This is why the Israelites keep running back and forth to all these gods in the Old Testament, because they think, well, maybe we'll just carry some favor with Philistine God too, just in case Jehovah yeah. likes. Yeah. The faith this guy shows to walk in enemy territory and pray a very straightforward, very specific prayer and believe that his God, even though Jehovah is not within his realm, so to speak, can come into Nana's realm and do what he wants, shows who he thinks Jehovah is. This is a guy with real powerful faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, it's something that we can be, that, that today we all have learn from because you know in, in a world of logic and reason and things like that we probably tend to diminish what we think God is can or will do yeah 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 Denise. um it kind of reminds me of this has come up in conversation a couple of times this week for me that we are called to be wise as serpents and as gentle as doves yeah. and I think in these situations, first thing we have to do is speak the truth. If that person refuses to see or hear the truth, then we need to step back and protect our own selves and, our, and the people that go with us. Yeah. So, um, but you cannot show somebody the other side if you don't open your mouth. Yeah, yeah. That's so good, Janice. I want to share with this with you all. This is from John 4. Uh, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink? I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the water, the living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him or her a well of water springing up to eternal life. You know what's interesting, Edie? Jesus let his son make a long journey to an extremely dangerous place to give his life sacrificed so that we could have the water of eternal life. There's a beautiful parallel. Abraham represents God, the father. Isaac, the sacrificial son, laid on the altar. Rebecca represents us. We're the bride of Christ. This is an amazing story. Um, Something happened. She was his choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, sitting here thinking about, you know, younger people today who really want to get married and just uh, how important it is to let God bring that person to you. Yeah. And and be very specific and know what what you want, what you're looking for. Yeah. God, put in your heart what he wants for you. You pray what he wants you to have, and then let him bring that to you. Yeah. That is so good, Edie. I remember talking to Catherine about, you know, what she needed in a husband. She wanted, and she said, well, well Dad, you know, do you, do you marry for love? Do you marry for money? Or do you marry for looks? And I said, well, honey. And she said, can I have all three? And so, well, you got Brandon, so, you know, (laughs) Catherine's blessed. So, yeah, Edie, we need to know. uh, There's something beautiful about marrying in the will of God. Absolutely, yeah. So can we settle something uh, so it doesn't pick at us and and all that stuff? How much does a gallon weigh? Pardon? Eight pounds. Eight pounds? Yeah. (laughs) Are we sure? Would Google lie to us? What if it's lead? I mean, can you imagine a gallon of lead, how heavy that would be? What if it's, how about standard Sumerian water, which would be different to Arkansas water? But, but, you know, and by the way, it ain't light, whatever it is. So how much is it weigh? 6.7. 6.7, okay. So I'm not a scientist, uh, Watering 50, uh, 10 camels who can drink 53 gallons in three minutes. 
I'm telling you guys, if you're looking for a wife, go to the CrossFit gym. That's where you go, all right, because she is tough. Scrambling down, coming back up, scrambling. Can you imagine how many times she had to do that and then hefting that jar up on her shoulder? It's just unreal. So um, you guys, if you guys have been got Stephen, anybody online? Okay. Um, Did you guys see in the headlines that George Soros just gave a million dollars to defund the police? Steve, Jesus, maybe his words are, are a little more clear when he said, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth, living in your pagan world under the abusive presence of Rome and, and all that went on there. Yeah, you're, you're, you're light. Yeah. Yeah, Soros is, is helping fund the defund the police program. By the way, what happens to a society takes a lot of common sense here, people. What happens to a society when you de deconstruct law enforcement? What happens? Chaos. Chaos. Somebody. When you move, when you move toward that, you move toward anarchy. Not good. Who's pulling the strings? What's up? Who is pulling the strings? Somebody is. Somebody is. Yeah, Lord of Wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, you're an educator, Steve. You're an educator, long-term educators. Um, I'm, I don't know if you're aware that, again, the headlines are saying that right now, under Biden's administration, is one of the most comprehensive pushes to completely rewrite and, and deconstruct and reconstruct the American educational system Deeply rooted in critical race theory. It's happening right now. And there was a, it was really sad because I, I saw Kit schools in Little Rock has a position open. I'm sorry, it's either Little Rock or Fayetteville. I think it's Fayetteville. Has a position open right now to, and you go on there, you read it. It, it is scary what yeah. their title is in the description. It is, it is, uh, it's basically to, um, Deconstruct white supremacy yeah. Yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And that's the position of the school. It's completely anti Christian. Yeah. Yes. 
They're both. Thank you. They're bold about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And it's a very School difficult boards. fight because, yeah. you know, you would think that parents would have a little more control over their education and the yeah. education and they don't. So I think we have to support the parents that are doing this, even if it's, you know, somewhere like in Virginia or where we're not, pray, you know, pray for our school boards and pray for these parents that are in the battle with the school boards because, you know, not, not all of them are Christian, but yet they're fighting for their, their children and their children's yeah. future. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, Linda, you're wise. While we have the chance to have influence, we've got to engage. We've got to. Uh, if we sit back and do, if, if the salt stays in the shaker and if the candle stays unlit or hidden, we are not having the influence on culture. Uh, Jesus Christ deconstructed all racial matters. He deconstructed all of them. The Apostle Paul shatters all racial models. And we have, we have got to embrace this thing. So, okay. Um, is Ur... <laughs> we don't want to go back to Ur, Right? Remember when Israel was taken out of out of Egypt? One of the big things that Egypt, the Christian, the, I'm sorry, the Hebrew people said when they, when it got tough. Well, we can go back to Egypt. We can just go back to Egypt. And Moses would say, No, you don't go backwards. You go forward. You can't go back to the old ways. So, um, yeah. Stephen, yes. Sir. Uh, an anonymous person says, and they have a question at the end. Chose to allow my daughters to take ballet in a school where the professional teacher is a homosexual. He never showed it, but everyone knew. And this person says, I regret it now. So I think sensitively answer his question. He says, Did I allow them to go to her? You're the church. Take ownership of that. Speak as though Jesus Christ is speaking through you. getting real, isn't it, people? I think um, just like what they were talking about, we're already in Ur. So I wouldn't necessarily say that you sent your kids to Ur in that situation. And there's only so much we have control over. We can spend the time to teach our kids at home because eventually they're going to go out into the world. There's going to be a time when they're not going to listen to us about where they should go. And so it's important for, for parents to use this time to focus on rearing their children up in the faith so that when they do go to her, that they won't receive that influence. That's so good, Michael. Someone else want to handle that? Yeah. Libby?
I've really been heavily leaning towards homeschooling, and yet, mm-hmm. as I kind of start thinking about that and kind of buying materials, and um, she gets older, like to be brutally honest, I just don't know if <laughs> mentally, you know, I can handle that. And I had a, a good conversation with a great friend of mine who I look up to so much, and we were just talking about how the, the difference in our culture today, like motherhood, how we do it all alone versus like biblical culture where it was done such community like women went to the well together we cooked together we gardened together um and so i don't don't really have she was saying she didn't feel like there was any way to um really solve that except for living like in a commune you know which is not realistic but yeah um i don't i don't know i don't really have any great points other than just share it's just a hard, really hard decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, Libby. Yeah. Yeah, you're there. Janice? Can I speak to that? Um, I have seen reports of uh, like teachers uh, being let go because they will not teach the critical race theory. And I have also seen some uh, information that some of, these te- some of these parents that don't want their children to that got together and hired some of these fired teachers to homeschool their children for them. Yeah. So, yeah. There's, there's going to be a real shift to that, Janice. Joe? I'll answer the question. So, I appreciate the heart behind it. I really do. Um, I think a reading of 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 would help here. Uh, Paul says we're not supposed to associate with all kinds of people, but people who call themselves Christians who are like that as you know, And he says outright, if you didn't want to associate with those people at all, you'd have to leave the world completely, which you can't do. We can't let our light shine if we hide behind a wall of things we agree with and that we are in, we are in line with and people who we are in line with. We have to get out there and attack evil or else it will just overflow and gobble. And I think probably that's a lot of the reason we're seeing so much of it. It's because for 20 and 30 years we've all hid behind our church walls around people we agree with and didn't get out there and shine. Yeah. Uh, I would tell him, no, he did not. Yeah. Yeah. This is part of living, and his responsibility is in the home to teach them and not sure. advocate the job of teaching and raising his kids to the school system. Sure. Good, good, good. You all have been so kind. Let me give it a, a response, and then we need to wrap it up. I would say this, which is going to be a little different than what you all have shared. I would say that um, the mind of a child is very, very impressionable. And the front lobes, the prefrontal cortex, dorsolateral, ventral medial, orbital medial, these key zones in the brain that work with all the systems to make a wise, discerning decision, to know the difference between right and wrong and all these kinds of things, that doesn't fully come online until mid to latter 20s. And when you take a child who's four years old, five years old, six years old, and you put them in key environments where profoundly deviant values and behaviors are being modeled as good and right and acceptable, I think we are putting our kids at risk. All right? Now, as far as the influence that would have on you, it's nothing. Water on the duck's back, as they say, but not for a child. And so the question is going to be, um, when can your child handle 
the pressures and the influence of this ur-like culture that we live in. And if they are not emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually ready to handle that kind of information, then I think that we've got we've to do due diligence to protect our kids. And uh, I, I, think, I think we need to be, uh, I, I think, Joe, you're, you're right. We've got, we got to come back around from the high, high nine of the wall. But however, um, when you look at what's taking place in libraries, in reading, periods in, for kids, the agenda, someone said the word bold, I'm, I don't remember who it was, but we're talking full-on aggressive boldness to deconstruct and reconstruct a whole new way of thinking and feeling, and it is a, it's a critical time, I think, for a nation and our churches. How about that song that was being sung about Yeah, 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 San Francisco Choir, absolutely. Bold we're coming for your kids. Yeah, okay. Uh, yes, Miranda. So, that's you. I, I wouldn't have explained it as eloquently as you did, but it, from just a mom's perspective, you know, and I work full time, and so I don't have um, time, if you will, to understand everything that's going on in the school system, except for the blessing out of COVID. We chose homeschooling because I didn't know it was going to shut yeah. down or whatever, yeah. and I intercepted one of those those particular lessons um, in kindergarten. So that firmed it up for me as yeah. a, a parent, knowing that I can't have 100% eyes on all that's going on all the yeah. time and what they're teaching. Um, that I really, that that firmed it. Now I'm choosing um, private school education in a budget that we can afford, like so right. we're moving, right. you know, right. to, to accommodate right. that. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I understand that not everybody has that choice. Yes. Right? And yes. so you have to have a little bit of grace. Yeah. In, in, in people's certain situations, life situations, things that yeah. occur, and so, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, that 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 was very much what I've always looked at. They're just so impressionable, okay. and I just want them to understand in their heart what this is in terms of the following Jesus, their personal Savior, get a firm foundation, and then if it's such time down the road that it's time, and like I said, not as eloquent as you say it, but basically if, if and when they're ready, we'll have those discussions to go into that public environment, to go and, you know, yeah. um, now I, I, I will protect them at all costs, but I understand that's not realistic and I want them to be fully prepared to go into the world yeah. um, and be able to defend what they believe. Yeah, thank you, Randa. Um, Mom and Dad, uh, please listen to me. There are two points in your day that are critical. Dinner hour and the bedtime hour. Okay. And what you talk about at the dinner table, when you open up God's word and you read scripture and you pray before your meal and you talk about God's word and when, when it's bedtime and you're telling bedtime stories and you're reading scripture and praying over your kids, critical. Um, real quick, you math brains, uh, I'm a high school dropout and I'm not kidding. High school dropout, math is my worst subject. Um, average hours the child will spend in school under the... In the dynamic of the public school system, how many hours per week, average child? Six and a half hours a day, okay. Times five, you know, 30, 35 hours, something like that. And talked about, you know, before class activities, after class, okay. A lot of influence, okay. How many hours does the average family spend in church? One? One, right. 
Do you understand the mandate in Hebrews chapter 10? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you know how critically important that is? You know that? We literally need each other to call each other to to not have a heart shaped for Ur, but have a heart that is shaped for Jesus, the promised land that he gives us. We need each other to, to, to push away from that and all that it represents, the easy life, if nothing else, the easy life. We've got to be go, going hard after Jesus. We've got to do this. And so, with all the love in my heart, I would tell you, should you be concerned about the ballet teacher? Actually, you should, yes. But I promise you, you need to be far more concerned about your own influence on your kids and not that ballet teacher. Because what happens at your home and, and the day-to-day grind of how you do breakfast, how you do supper, how you do bedtime, how your children watch you, all those things are going to have far more influence. I'm just, I'm just telling you... <laughs> Christchurch, I'm telling you, now's a really good time to love Jesus, okay? It's a real good time to love Jesus. Yeah. And to have faith that he is kind and good and he's trustworthy. When everything and everyone around you says, don't do it. What a good time to be in love with Jesus, okay? It's critically important. And... and uh, Please be careful with these things. There's more err packed into this little device than you'll ever get your head on. Okay. Chris, there's also something that someone said a long time ago when television came around. Be careful what you bring into your house. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. Listen, I need to pray for you all. And, and uh, um, Abba Father, um, Thank you for sending your son to go to the worst place possible and be at most risk and to give his life to ransom us, me. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you uh, would help us love you with all our hearts and to live out your will, to follow you with all our hearts, love your son, and um, to stay strong in the midst of a crooked and very perverse generation. Uh, thank you for the example of this servant. Thank you for the example of Abraham and, and Rebecca. Lord, please uh, hear our hearts right now. We're going to sing. We're going to sing love songs to you. And I ask that you are happy with what you hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much.